God speaks to us through his word in Genesis 11, 1 through 9. Now the whole earth had one language and the same words, and as people migrated from the east, they found a plain in the land of Shinar and settled there. And they said to one another, come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone and bitumen for mortar. Then they said, come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens, and let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. And the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the children of man had built. And the Lord said, Behold, they are one people, and they all have one language, and this is only the beginning of what they will do, and nothing that they propose to do now will be impossible for them. Come, let us go down there and confuse their language, so that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord dispersed them from there over the face of all the earth, and they left off building the city. Therefore, its name was called Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of all the earth. And from there, the Lord dispersed them over the face of all the earth. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. All right. Thank you, Leslie. Hey, uh, good morning, everybody, and uh, thank you so much for being here. I- I told the first service that some of us are still having probably issues with the tryptophan from the turkey. And uh, so uh, if you need to take just a quick nap, you know, go on ahead and take a quick nap. But really are glad that you guys will be here on the back end of Thanksgiving. A lot of people traveling today. Um, I'm seeing a lot of blank stares. Tryptophan is that thing in turkey that makes you sleepy, by the way. And so uh, I had my fair share of it this last week. All right, a couple of things. I want to uh, tell you guys before we jump into Genesis. Uh, one is... Um, you, you are going to hear, I'm going to tell you about it till I'm blue in the face because I want you to hear it until you're blue in the face. Christmas Eve is such a big deal for us this year. And I, look, we don't ever get into a numbers game here, but we really feel like the Lord said, put a couple of numbers on our heart. We're going to pray that 500 people would be in attendance and which would be big for us. And that 50 people uh, would truly like either be renewed or would come to know the Lord uh, for the first time somehow they were invited to that service, maybe at that service or throughout the next year or whatever. And so I am, as your pastor, uh, I am asking you uh, to be on mission with us for Christmas Eve. We have services at 9, 11, and 2. And that means that everybody jumps in in prayer. Everybody, nobody takes the day off. Nobody's like, we're not a church that just like sort of uh, phones it in on days like that. We are a missional church. You have work to do. I have work to do. The role of the saints is to do the work of ministry. It's not my job to do it for you. So I am stirring you up now to say, get one of these invites. Get several of these invites. We got them at the doors. Hand them out to your friends. Uh, Ask the Lord for courage to invite your family and friends that don't know Jesus or don't have a church home or are typical for this area, which is the overchurched and under-gospeled crowd, okay? So we want to be missional that day. We want to get after it. Uh, and then maybe some of you are trying to figure out even what you're going to do, if you're going to be traveling or not. Um, I will never pressure you into not traveling, but maybe I will just prod you a little bit, like maybe this is a year where you say, you know what, I'm going to be here with my church family, and we're going to be on mission. So anyway, be praying about that. We've got invites for you. And the last thing is this, Pastor Andrew Burkhart, who is one of my best friends and one of the best pastors I've ever known, is gonna be here all next week. Um, And then he's gonna be preaching uh, to kick off Advent in this pulpit next week. And I'm gonna be at Frontline South 
uh, in his place, uh, helping learn from their team and serving their team, then I'm going to preach there. So anyway, he'll be here. Please welcome him with open arms. All right, I'm going to pray for you. You pray for me, and then we'll jump into Genesis. God, we thank you so much for this book. We thank you that it was written by you. We thank you that it's not just a collection of stories, um, but it's a testimony of your goodness and faithfulness when we are inevitably always unfaithful. And I just thank you that it has a heartbeat, that there's blood pumping through this book right now, that it's alive for us today. And thank you there are multiple people in the room that are gonna hear from your mouth today through this Bible. And we ask that you would make us doers and not just hearers of the word. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, okay. I've got a lot to cover here and I wanna make sure that I get to it. So look, if you're a guest in the room, man, thank you again, thank you so much for being here on the back end of Thanksgiving. Uh, let me uh, clue you into what we've been doing. We're preaching through the book, uh, the, first four ch- uh, the first 11 chapters of the book of Genesis. And uh, we are now today sort of wrapping up these first 11 chapters. I'm gonna talk about what that means, but then we're gonna jump into Advent next week when we're going through the book of Isaiah and the promised king in Jesus. Genesis is really broken up into three sections, but primarily into two so far as the scope of the Bible. You've got Genesis 1 through 11, and then you have the whole rest of the book. All right, Genesis 1 through 11 is the story of God as creator. He creates man in his image and all the things around us. We've learned about that. We learned about what man was created for to be the lead worshipers, the temple priest of the temple that God has made, the earth. The earth was made as a resting place for God's presence. We learned about that. We also learned that uh, in Genesis 3, Adam and Eve uh, participated in and really sort of instigated outside the serpent the fall. The fall of man was this. God said to them in the garden, he placed them in the garden. He said, there's a tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and there's a tree of life. Don't, you can eat of everything in the whole garden, but don't eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Well, they understood it. The serpent came to them. The serpent believed a lie and then got them to believe the lie. And the lie was this. You don't need God. You can be God. You actually only need yourself. God is a liar. You can't trust his character or his words. When he said, don't eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, really what he's trying to do is keep you from his power and understanding. Well, that sounded good to Adam and Eve. (laughs) And they ate of the tree. Then the fall happened. God cursed the ground and cursed the man and the woman and the serpent uh, from the fall. And then we see all of this kind of treachery taking place. God says to them, you cannot be in the garden. And we also learned that the garden, what made it the garden, wasn't the trees. It was the presence of God. So the garden of Eden was literally the presence of God. And God said, because of sin, you can't be in my presence. And he set a cherubim with a sword pointing on all four sides to keep them from ever going back to the garden. Somebody has to go, if they're gonna get back to the presence of God, they gotta go through the sword. We learned that. East of Eden is where God sent Adam and Eve and sent mankind. And so literally this idea or this concept of everything moving away from God's presence is moving east of Eden. (coughs) Excuse me which is where mankind is now. Cain was born. Cain killed his brother Abel. God sent him to be a wanderer east of Eden. Uh, And then we see uh, the, the whole world has now been infected with this lie that they can be God, so much so that in Genesis 6, God looks at the earth and he says, 
Everyone was only doing what was right in their own eyes. Now, does that not sound like Genesis 3? You can be God. You just need yourself. You don't need God. You don't need any of his judgment. You don't need any of his rights. You don't need any of his rules, whatever. Just be you. Everyone was doing that. In Genesis 6, God sends a flood to start over, but he preserves Noah, who also was sinful, by the way. God is judging and preserving. He's judging and preserving. And then after Noah, we see the descendants of Noah. God preserves the descendants of Noah. And now we get to this part in Genesis 11. And then in Genesis 12, we're going to get Abraham, who God says will be a blessing to all nations. But Genesis 11 has to come first. This will be the end of our time in Genesis 1 through 11. And we get now not just one person who God, who, uh, uh, sins against God, but now we have a whole community of people that are building a tower and building a city and doing a lot of things that we would stand and applaud today. It's like, what is the big deal with this? This sounds like human ingenuity. <laughs> this sounds like a group of people that got together and said, you know what, we should do something pretty awesome. Let's build a whole city and a whole tower. If a group of people, however many they are today, if a group of people got together and decided to build a city, and build a tower that ascends to the heavens. It'd be on every single news outlet. They'd get every type of prize, social media followers. It would be amazing, it'd be applauded. So what is the big deal? What is the big deal with the Tower of Babel? There's a lot here for us. There's a lot. Babel at first glance seems innocent enough. Um, but this moment would be the founding this one moment is the founding of a city and a nation and a community that would have been forever labeled as those antithetical to God and his purposes. Babel is the start of Babylon. It's the Babylonians, those who are opposed to God, opposed to his rule. And it's interesting that the term Babel has two meanings in two different dialects, one in Babylonian and one in Hebrew. In Babylonian, the word Babel means gate to the gods. But in Hebrew, it means confused. Now, isn't that true for you and me today? That the very things that I think I can build my kingdom around that will get me the type of supreme authority that I'm after, the things that I have thought, my money, my house, my family, my whatever, those kingdoms that I construct that I think will make me ascend to the heavens, well, my friends who are in gospel community, what the Bible would say is that that's actually confusion. And there is an author of confusion. It's the enemy in Genesis 3. You can be as God. You can build your thing. You don't need God at all. The point is this. We celebrate and champion under the deception of sin or what God tells us leads to destruction. Confusion is the right word here. So I've got three things that I want you to see today. They'll be on the screen as we move through this passage. The first is this about the Babylonians. True enough, they are not their creator. They are not their creator. Now the whole earth, verse one, had one language and the same words. And as people migrated from the east, they found a plain in the land of Shinar and settled there. And they said to one another, 
Come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone and bitumen for mortar. And then they said, come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens and let us make a name for ourselves lest we are dispersed over the face of the whole earth. It is interesting that this very practice came out of anxiety in the first place. We might be dispersed over the whole earth. We need to do something that makes a name for ourselves. We'll talk about that in a little bit. But again, this looks like a good time. There's growth and commerce and ambition, cities being built, progress being made. But the problem is that looks can be deceiving. Here's a few clues that help center us to the true theme and what's really going on. The first is this, quote, and as people migrated from the east, remember what happened in the garden. God said, you have to go east of Eden, east of my presence. This, is, this lets us know that there's something happening here that's keeping them moving away from God's presence. The Bible doesn't just randomly put it in there. It's letting us know that they are moving away from God. The further they get from God, the more they want to build things for themselves. Second, they found a plain in the land of Shinar and settled there. Do you remember the mandate from God? Maybe you don't, but if you do, or if you've never heard of it, let me tell you today, there's a, a mandate from God he gave to Adam and Eve and then he gave to Noah. It was this. Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. It's also the the mandate that he gives us, by the way. At the end of Matthew, the end of the gospel when he ascends, he says, go into all nations, essentially being fruitful and multiplying, discipling and baptizing. It's the cultural mandate. It's the mandate that God gives man and woman. They found a plain in the land of Shinar and they settled there. Well, settling was never the plan. Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it doesn't sound like settling at all, does it? So their eastward movement away from God now into a place of settlement. And come, let us make for ourselves, we see now, let us make for ourselves bricks and mortar cities uh, interesting that they chose, anybody, any home builders in, in here would know that like choosing brick and mortar is not like the thing that's going to withstand the test of time. <laughs> Something that will decay. Let us make for ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens. Why does its top need to be in the heavens? And let us, listen to this, let us make a name for ourselves. Lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. So they migrated from the east away from God's presence They found a plain to settle in. They said, come let us build a city and a tower atop of the heavens. Let us make a name for ourselves, lest we disperse over the face of the whole earth. The the point is this, when the goal is to make a name for yourself and build for yourself, you will inevitably find yourself moving away from God's presence and worshiping the idol of comfort. When the goal is for you or for me to live my life to be who I am and let nobody tell me otherwise, what you worship, what you end up worshiping is comfort, is settlement. And when someone threatens your comfort, well then you turn into somebody that you were never created to be, that you never really thought you could be. And that's what's happening here. They're worshiping the idea, the concept of themselves and they love settling. Let's settle 
This is the place that we will call ours and we will build something in our settlement that will also increase our comfort in the world. Everyone will know who we are and what we've done. Isn't that the point? Let me ask you that. What's the point of your life? Is it to just make a name for yourself? Is it to just guard your reputation, take no risk? Is it to be comfortable? And I, I have to tell you this because it is the truth. And I don't, it, this does not like gain momentum <laughs> with guests, but it is true. If you are going to follow Jesus, you are choosing a life of discomfort. It's, dis, it's not comfortable. It was never meant to be comfortable. How could a man who says in Luke 9, Jesus, if anyone wants to come after me, they must do two things. Deny themselves. Deny their very selves. Who knows in this room that we live in a world that says that's the last thing that you should do. You should do what? You should be true to thine self. Be true to yourself. And guess who gets to decide who yourself is? You do, not your parents, not society, not the Bible. So you decide who you are and it can change tomorrow morning. You decide what you believe and what you should go after and that could, again, change in three years. If you don't like being married in three years, it's okay. It's not true to you to stay in a place in a marriage that you don't love the other person, right? To thine own self be true. That's what we have believed in the world is that I am ultimate and I get to decide who else is ultimate. And if you don't believe that I'm ultimate or believe that the things that I think are ultimate are ultimate, well, guess what? You don't get to be in my community. You're my enemy. And anybody that stands in the way of my supremacy, well, they should die. I mean, isn't that what we think in the world? Threaten my settlement, threaten my comfort, threaten my name being great among the nations. Isn't that how it's supposed to be written? That your name will be great among the nations? In every place they will bring incense and pure offering to my name? The Bible has a lot to say about names. It has a lot to say about being great. And the name that it gives that is the name above every name is the name of Jesus, whose name Elohim and Yahweh will be great among the nations. In every place, they will bring pure, pure offerings and incense for his name will be great among the nations. They're trying to be their creator and they're not. There's one creator. God decides where we go and what we do. God is the ultimate creator of places and things. God is the one who both names and makes a name for himself. Elohim in chapter one, the God of power who creates. Yahweh then in chapter two and three, God our Father. And heaven is that place of God's presence. He decides who goes there, not us. So they are trying to do only things that God can do. Make a name for themselves, build a tower that ascends to the heavens. Boundaries are being crossed and mandates are being broken. Humanity is once again trying to play God. 
This is the root of all sin. It's the root of the sin in us is that thing that says we deserve what only God can get. Control, omnipresence. We try to be everywhere at once. Omnipotent, have all power, all authority. We want all comfort. We want to be all-knowing. Here's the problem. The issue with Babel is not their work ethic. It's not that they even got together and a bunch of people decided to do one thing. I think that's kind of cool. That's what we're doing today. It's not that they tried to build cities or even a tower. It's their motive behind it. It's the point behind it to them. And you can take building cities or building a tower or whatever, and you can just equate it to whatever that thing is in your life that you try to build to ascend to the heavens yourself or provide settlement or comfort. Most of us, it's try to build a family, which is good, but when it replaces God, it becomes idolatry. Or try to build a 401k or whatever it is, which is like, that's good, savings is good, but when it becomes something that replaces God, it becomes idolatry. Uh, David Atkinson said this, the tower is a sort of architectural system or symbol of humankind's asserted greatness. With its top in the heavens is an idiom for impregnable security, but is another symbol and picture of a violation of the limits God sets to human life and to human behavior for the sake of human beings' uh, well-being. Isaiah 14 talks about this. It says this directly to us. It's this. You said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven. Above the stars of God, I will sit my throne on high. I will sit on the mount of assembly in the far reaches of the north. I mean, just imagine the pride here. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high. But you're brought down to Sheol, to the far reaches of the pit. You said, I said, in my heart, I will ascend to the heaven. Babel is not their creator, but they think that they are. This is not just about them. This is about us, of course. We're not our creator. It's a tricky thing to read the Old Testament or to read any story in the Bible as uh, I'm glad I'm not like them kind of mentality, <laughs> which we do a lot, don't we? We read the stories of the Bible and we're like, man, these people are crazy. They're crazy. Why would they act like that? Why would Israel be delivered from the hands of Pharaoh after 400 years of slavery and then as soon as they get in the desert say, hey, we want to go back and be slaves? What, who in their right mind? We're trying to read it like that sometimes. In the same thing here with Babel, we're like, why would they try to, how, did anybody even tell them how tall the tower would have to be in order to get to heaven? Does that make any sense? We read those stories that way. We go, thank God that I am not like those people. But there's another story that happened in the temple when Jesus said, saw a Pharisee, there's a Pharisee that went down and prayed and another one that went down and prayed, a man that didn't have much. And the Pharisee, one of their prayers would always be, thank God that I am not like these people. That's what we do. Well, really what we need to do is read the Bible like it is written, which is with a heartbeat. It was a story about God's people, there's no doubt, but it's also written today for you and me in, in the chair that you're sitting in. You understand your life. It's alive. It has eyes, it has ears, it has a mouth, it speaks to us, it listens. The Bible is alive for us. 
It discerns our thoughts. We struggle to see ourselves as anything but victims. But it's supernatural written for you and me and the story of Babel is a story about us. Our world is dominated and defined by what we can achieve, what we can build. And I'm not just talking about the obvious things. Anybody in the room freaked out about artificial intelligence? Has, I want to tell these people, like, have you not, this is the most obvious one. You know what I mean? Everybody's seen Terminator. Like, how have we dis- disregarded all the books and movies and everything? I'm not just talking about artificial intelligence, though. I don't even want to talk about artificial intelligence, to be honest. Obvious things like technology and, and things that we can build, cities, sports teams, whatever, uh, media platforms. But it's also, it's not just those things. That's easy to kind of point the finger and go, yep, we, we, we really celebrate, you know, Tesla or whatever. We celebrate all that stuff that we can build as technological advancement and blah, blah, blah. It's easy for us to, to play the victim to go like, yeah, that stuff's going to happen to us. But the thing I'm asking you to do today is look closer to home. Because we think that we can build an ideal life. We think that we can build our own cities. And we think that we can build gates around it to keep anybody from ever sort of breaking the secure walls. Our ideal family, our ideal house, or maybe ideal vacation. I, I feel like I at least twice last week put the ideal plate together for Thanksgiving. It was like, look at this. I wish somebody had Instagram. This is exactly what everybody's Thanksgiving plate should be. I love Thanksgiving, man. You all have to bear with me. We try to ascend to the most high. Our way of life and ways of worship are, I mean, to put it bluntly, they're pagan. We're parallel to the Babylonians. They said, let us make for ourselves a city and a tower. Let us make a name for ourselves. Let us make it impenetrable. Ascend to the heavens, brick and mortar. They have one language, all striving for the same thing. So long as you believe in my version of freedom and truth, we're family. We speak the same language. Our efforts are the same, but anybody that doesn't speak like us, they're not family, they're enemies. Does that sound familiar? One language, one people, one goal, to get to heaven. Lest we be dispersed, they said. They all had one anxiety. We're anxious about not being known, we're anxious about being dispersed, so let's get together. And if there's enough of us, together, locked arms, if there's enough of us, then I think we could overthrow God. I think we can finally get God to do what we think he should do. We can finally get God to agree with us because we're right after all. It's our identity in community, but then it's like, what is community? If it's simply having only people around you that are like you, then that's at the very least a very shallow form of community. I mean, whole communities are built around being different than everybody else. 
Like we're different than everybody else. You agree, you agree, you agree, you agree, you agree. I think it's so funny. A lot of the movements that we see where people are like, well, we're so different than everybody. We're so unique and individual. It's like, yeah, I could find you 300 people today that feel the exact same way. You guys should go be unique and individual in the community together. And there'll be another that think they're unique and individual from you. You ever think about how silly this is? That's what's happening in Babel. This is like their idea of community is a community of people that are unique and individual, but that are ready to overthrow God and his wisdom. Something interesting has happened at Babel. In their effort to build community around defiance towards God, it actually ended up destroying their community. And here's why. Because God is the inventor of community. There is no true community outside of God. There is a difference between God community or gospel community and just community. Gospel community is centered on the unity that I was lost and Christ saved me and I'm forever with him and indebted to him for that. Then all of a sudden it doesn't become about like how old are you or do we have the same amount of kids? Do we think the same and vote the same? Uh, I, I was talking to uh, a, one of the guys in our church who's um, Jewish lineage. God has saved him. He's, he loves Jesus. And we text a lot about what's happening in, in, over in the Middle East. And I said, you know what's interesting is like, if you find me a Palestinian or, and a Jew that have both been saved by Jesus, they become best friends. Now explain that in some practical way that's not just supernatural. That's supernatural. And when someone comes to me in our church and they say, hey, I wanna find um, a gospel a community that's my same sort of like affinities and my same life and looks like me, and I say, oh, I hope you don't find it here. I really hope you don't because we work really hard to keep that from happening in our church. Community is built and defined by God. That's why anything outside of community wrapped around God doesn't work. It doesn't work, you end up biting and devouring one another. So we are not our creator. And the final thing is this, is God comes down. God comes down. Verse five is this one verse, but it is the crux. It is the middle of this story. It's how the story ties together. And the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the children of man had built. They think that they will ascend to the heavens, but it's God who descends to them. They think that their efforts are noteworthy, but God has to come down and see. Uh, Chad Kinzer, who's one of my best buddies, preaches here a lot, is one of our uh, downtown Oklahoma City, one of our elders down there. He put it this way. He said, it's, it's like a father looking at a child's Lego tower, but he has to squint <laughs> to see it. This tower that they built said ascend to the heavens. You imagine God just going like, he's gotta come down and let me go down there and see what they built. That's the imagery here. And how fitting every attempt that we make, even the ones that the whole community celebrates are always short of an ascension to God. Our good nature, our good job in house, we've talked about it. Our well-behaved children or even our morally safe reputation. None of it can actually ascend to the heavens. 
You can build towers and towns and names for yourself all day long, but at the end of the day, it doesn't amount to a Lego tower when it comes to the scope of eternity in God's presence. Here's how you get to God. It's, he's showing us that you don't. God has to descend. And Jesus actually condescends to us. Throughout these 11 chapters, we've seen stories of God's judgment. God is fully just. He has to be. He stops being God if he's not fully just. He can't just like gloss over sin, but he's also fully love. And so what we get is the judgment of God, but then also his preservation. And Adam and Eve, judgment met with preservation, the promise of the snake crusher through the seed of the woman. Cain, judgment to wander the earth, but preservation when God says that no one can harm him. And then the flood, judgment upon the earth, and of course, God preserves the earth through Noah and his descendants. Now we get judgment and preservation of God upon Babel. And look at this. And the Lord said, Behold, they are one people, and they all have one language. And this is the only the beginning of what they will do. And nothing they propose to do will now be impossible for them. So come, let us go down there and confuse their language so that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord dispersed them. From there, over the face of the whole earth, and they left off building the city. I love this. God is the only one that can do this because God both judges, preserves, and fulfills his mandate for them to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. He's saving them from themselves and fulfilling his purposes. God's the only one that can do that. Take us and how twisted our lives are and then make something out of nothing. The Bible says that he gives beauty for ashes. He causes disruptions in our lives, get our attention. These moments where if you belong to Jesus, he has promised to do the preserving work of saving you to the end. So he will use whatever he needs to do to do it. And maybe right now, some, actually maybe some of you are here today because of that. And you're like, I don't know, really know why God brought me to that church today. I don't know why. I just feel like I needed to go. And maybe it was just for this moment right now for God to reassure you to say, hey, wake up. I'm trying to, trying to get your attention. You belong to me. I'm preserving you. Perk up your ears. Open up your eyes. God knows us, he knows our heart and what's behind it and he says this is only the beginning of what they will do. He knows what will come and he preserves them by scattering them. So the conclusion of Genesis one through 11 is the kickstart of restored community throughout the rest of the Bible and here's the hope that we have. God comes to Abraham in chapter 12 and he says this, I will make you a blessing to all the nations of the earth. God disperses community here so that he can restore us to true community through his son. One that is not dependent upon same wills or mindsets or interests or affinities or a desire to ascend to the heaven, but a community that is dependent upon the one who descends to us. That's community. 
That's gospel community. It's like we love each other because God saved me. That's why. The Bible says that we should fight to maintain unity. We don't build it. God creates unity in us when he saves us. But our job is to work to maintain the unity that God, that's true community. God will also give us a new language. Fueled by the Holy Spirit who descends upon the first church in Acts 2. One language of our heart that says, I belong to Christ. He belongs to me. I am saved to the uttermost. So I can actually act crazy and still not lose community. I can still speak the same language. You know what that language is? Is this. Jesus is my hope in this life. And he's my hope in eternity. That's the language. If you're a Christian, that's what you speak and what I speak. The end. I have one hope. It's Christ. I spent some time in Thailand years ago, and I just loved it. I mean, years and years ago. And um, I remember, though, just being so bound to those people. I was like, I, you could tell who believed in Jesus. And it wasn't very many people. I mean, that whole place is dark, and anybody that's ever been there, it's a very dark place. There's lots of, of, of um, idol worship, and as soon as you fly in there, you feel the darkness. But I remember meeting some of those Christians there, and we, it was like, oh my gosh, you feel like my brother. I've never met you. I think the food that you eat is kind of weird. I don't understand your television, you know? I don't understand what's going on over there on TV, but, I, but you, this is like a brother to me. Anybody ever experienced that? That's the, that's the community that's built by the gospel. God gives us a new language, a new heartbeat for one another. People that don't even speak the same language as me in, in, in Thailand, but they do in their heart. That's true communication. And in Christ, we have a true mediator between heaven and earth. We don't have to build a tower to get to him. He actually is the mediator between us and the Father. Not some elementary attempt by humans with brick and mortar. The home builders in the room, and there's a few of them maybe, or anybody that builds anything, you would know that brick and mortar is a feeble attempt. It'll burn up, get it hot enough, and over time it's gonna decay. I have a brick home. You have to paint that thing like every five years or something crazy, I don't know. There's a story in the Gospels about Jesus who talks about building a home, and he says there's two men, both are skilled home builders. One builds a house on sand. His foundation is messed up. Probably a beautiful house. It's already an achievement for a man to be able to build his own home anyway. Rains come, winds blow, storms, and the house blows down. There's another man who's also a skilled home builder. Maybe you wouldn't be able to tell a difference of them if they were to line up or if you knew them. But he builds his house on the rock. And rains came, storms blew, winds, and his house withstood because his foundation was strong. You've heard this before but I want us to hear it again today. My question for you is simply this. Are you building your own house? 
What is the foundation of your life? Are you trying to ascend to the heaven and get that which only God can give? Have you thought about God? Maybe you don't know him at all. Maybe you know all the stories, the Tower of the Babel, Noah, whatever, but you don't actually know Christ. Maybe your house is simply built for you. Maybe you're a family and all of that is your kingdom that you are working hard like a rabid dog to try and protect. And it's just got you nowhere other than chasing your tail. I promise you, your family won't be enough. I promise you. Everything outside of worshiping God becomes worshiping of idolatry. Just like the Babylonians, I, I wanna encourage you today, meet with God. See God as the one who condescends to us. He is actually here with us in this room. By the Holy Spirit, God is with us. As we come, get ready to take communion today, uh, the invitation for every Christian, whether you're good at it or not, but for every Christian today is to come, remember the gospel, remember who it was that descended to you. And then lay down those idols. Go, no, I belong to Jesus and I forgot. And I'm remembering today. He's who I belong to. If you're not a Christian, my gosh, I'm so proud of you for being here. I mean, it takes a lot of courage to even just stay, sit through all of this. Day after, Sunday after Thanksgiving. Uh, but I would encourage you, if you're not a Christian, don't take communion. We do it every single week. It's common for us, it's practice for us, it's worship for us, but if you're not a Christian, I'm not saying that to embarrass you, I'm just saying that this meal is for the Christian, and it's, it requires faith to take it. It's you making a statement of faith to come and even take the meal. We'll have prayers on the screen for you if you don't follow Jesus.